the last lesson on the psalm series. We introduced this a few weeks ago and thought we would stay with psalms a little longer, but we have just finished psalms 1 and 2, and I'm delighted to bring to you the last part of Psalm 2. Remember those practical things. The books are still available. Go to the website, push the button, put your name and address, and we'll pop one in the mail to you. The Christmas lessons are coming, and they're going to be brief and varied and reminders of all the Home for Christmases and all the Advents that we've done over the last 37 years. The reunion is coming February 10th, 1 to 4, here in Phoenix, Scottsdale metro area at Chaparral Christian Church. If you're coming from out of state, we have place for you. And now to looking at the blast of Psalm 2. Being able to teach young women the Bible and how to receive God's word of love and instruction over the past 37 years has been an extraordinary privilege. And I thank you for joining me. All of you who listen from all parts of the world, Vietnam and Sweden and England and Japan and Canada and every state. Thank you for those notes and letters, for the request for books with notes this last month. I cannot tell you how much I am grateful for your place in this program. We've been looking at Psalm 1 and we've been given this image to last a lifetime, a tree. We get ourselves ready for prayer by looking at a tree and seeing ourselves planted, planted near the water, the water of life. We get the English word trio, meaning true and deeply planted with strong roots. And the simplicity of this is staggering. My dear Aunt Pat always said that God's favorite color was green. It had to be, just look around. Now those were the days when I lived in Chicago in the Midwest had much more green than the Southwest does. But the simplicity of a tree <clears throat> planted. We live in the desert and we have a lot of cacti and they have very shallow roots. This last summer of staggering heat has seen many saguaro plants that are, you know, 40, 50 feet in the air, just toppled into the street and into the yard. We've had two of them on our own property. But a tree is not like a saguaro or a cactus. A tree has deep roots. And I go to this prayer book, the prayer book of the Bible, and I find God calling me to look to the tree its placement, its food, its growth. So go find a tree, lay down in front of it, look at it longingly and thoughtfully, and begin to adopt this Psalm 1 sense of how God calls us to, to be like the tree planted by the water. Prayer begins in our senses, not with the distraction of lofty thoughts and stories, and the length of time, how many times I told myself, oh, well, I'll just go and pray for an hour. I think I'd heard someone say that, and I thought it must have been easy. It wasn't. 
I don't. I didn't ever do that when I was trying to do that. I did that only when I came to the recognition that these lofty thoughts and lofty words and big ideas didn't come because I started there. They came because of this wonderful psalm that calls me to go there. Psalm 1, happy, blessed are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in season, and their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. The wicked are not so. They are like the chaff the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. We come to this first psalm, this the beginning of the Psalter, the prayer book of the Bible, and I find God calling us, reminding us that we're to look to the tree. So I encourage you again, go out somewhere in your hood, somewhere in your yard, someplace you see regularly, and mark that tree as a reminder that God is calling us to be like tree. Prayer begins in our senses and not with distractions and not with place and not with books, and not with unfinished journals that remind us that we started and didn't finish. The prayer we've tried to pray would be quite a formidable pile of prayers if we were called to go back and look at every prayer we started or every time we went to our quote-unquote prayer closet or started a journal that we never finished. The prayer book, the Psalms, the simplicity of Psalm 1 is life-giving. Be a tree. Put your roots down. Sit near the streams of water for refreshment and meditate. I know we had a hard time with that word meditate, didn't we? And yet meditate is nothing more than pausing to look and to listen. And as we look today into the second psalm of preparation, we find the same word meditate, only the translation of this word is to plot is to plot. Now, I struggled with this as I was studying it, because how can meditation and to plot mean the same thing? But think about it for a moment. Isn't that what meditation is? But the world, the world of the sinner, does not talk about meditation. He does talk about plots and schemes and dreams and plans to do his will to do the will that man sets before himself. Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the people plot in vain, meditate in vain? The king of the earth sets themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds asunder and cast their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs The Lord has them in derision. Then he will speak with them in his wrath and terrify them in his hearing and fury. I have said, my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. 
you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like potter's vessels. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned. O ruler of the earth, serve the Lord with fear, with trembling. Kiss his feet, or he will be angry, and he will perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Happy are all those who take refuge in him. Are you struck with that? Are you are you stuck with all those hard words? Sits in heaven and laughs, derision, uh, evil, the rod of iron, pieces like potter's vessels. Wow, how do we get from Psalm 1 to Psalm 2? Remember, Psalm 1 and 2 are the precursors to the Psalter. They were not, they're not prayers. They're not part of the prayers of Psalm 3 through 150. They are setting us up to know what we're to meditate on, what we're not to meditate on, what the nations do, what God does. Why do the nations conspire and plot? These words are the same word as meditate. Now, hold on to that for a moment. Think of conspiring and plotting, murmuring, absorbed, ruminating. This word is the key word. They are meditating on plans for mankind, and they are many meditations. For those in Psalm 1, we approach God with delight and find meditating on him brings our furry friend the lion those guttural sounds. The lion has killed his prey, and the prey is before him. And Isaiah says, he is making noises and pleasurable sounds. And here we see in Psalm 2 the same thing, only they are scheming against the word. Get rid of God in his way. Scheme to find my own way, our way. You've done that, haven't you? I have. Oh, no, I'll just set that aside for this moment. One of the lines that I hear many people say and make laugh of and joke of is, oh, well, I'm going to do it because I know there's forgiveness. A dear friend of ours now, 30 years ago, came to us and said he was leaving his wife and three children. We explained what he already knew, and he looked at us and said, yes, but there's forgiveness. And I thought, wow. This is what the psalm is talking to us about in Psalm 2. They rid God, and they scheme to find their own way. They don't want God involved. They don't want to talk about God. They don't want to look at his word. They want to take the same words and find them restrictive like chains, binding them from doing whatever they want to do. Not God's words, but their words. He calls us to meditate on his way. But they don't want to do that. They want to rule. Note something else about these rulers and kings. They take up going against God. They, they've already said that they're going to burst these bonds asunder. They're going against what God's called them to do. Do you find people who not only resist or reject, but vehemently and turn their power into the world power? Just turn on the news Watch the channel for a few minutes and find out exactly what we are reading right here. I will take over your country, pillage the land and your people. I am the world power. Have you heard that in the last year 
in the last few days, leaders of countries who are not following God's way, but they're following the power of a man who does what he wants to do. When we think of this in our world and the whole scheme of our world, these leaders lead in sciences. They lead in academia. They lead the armies. They preside over governments. They rule over marketplaces. I'm astounded at a country that quotes leaders of billion-dollar industries who, who provide us with products they think we need or we think we need. And what comes out of their mouths are vile and not at all active in what God would call them to do. If anything, I would call them a conspiracy against God. Have you ever been intimidated by that? I have. During the COVID season, about 10 minutes from our house, there was a rash of break-ins and robberies, a series of robberies in one of our most exclusive merchandise malls in the entire Phoenix metro area. And they went in and they broke the huge plate glass windows of the Mac store and they were looting and taking everything out of the stores and they had to close down the mall and people were fearful for their life. There were some hostages, no one was killed. I felt fear. And the announcers, as they were talking about, fed that fear in me. And not more than 30 or 40 minutes after it started, a dear young couple who David and I just love with our full heart called and they said, do you want us to come over? We'll bring our gun. And I can remember thinking, it was a lovely offer. They, They wanted to help us or to protect us. But David and I, we made a choice not to own a gun. That's just for us. There's nothing wrong with owning a gun. But I think both of us probably feel that we'd never be able to pull a trigger. We wouldn't know what to do with it if we needed it. And these young friends were offering to come to protect us. We said thank you and thank you so much. But the reality is that's a temporary, short-lived protection. The intimidation around us was enormous. They were close by. The rumors were vile. They were taking women and young girls. The voice of the enemy was saying intimidating remarks. Right here in my street, in my home, near um, a place that I not only call home, but a city that's filled with people I call family. These created by God ones have been meditating, just as Psalm 2 says, on the evil one against the one true living God. People have set themselves, yes, set themselves determinedly with assurance against God. And they've been doing that since the beginning of time. And I was thinking about the tin booms and all of the wonderful missionaries that I have read about, some of whom I've known. Corrie Tim Boom lost her home, her precious belongings, her own health. She lived in squalor and fought the bedbugs while she watched her father and her sister's lives be eradicated. She would not stop meditating on God. The film, if you've ever seen the film, it shows these wood bunk beds with straw on them. And she talks about the bugs and how 
they offended her and how they kept her from sleeping, but they did not keep her from praying. They did not keep her from meditating on the words of God, which she had memorized. As the days of her life, including the days that the German soldier came to the church where she was speaking about forgiveness for all that she had lost. And that German soldier had been the man who had been intrinsically involved with the death of her father and her sister. And he came forward to her, calling her Frau, and extending his hand and asking for forgiveness. That's a powerful moment in anyone's life, but it was big because of the way Corey had allowed herself and her books and her story to be told. How she felt like, oh, I cannot do that. But she extended her hand and did what she knew the Word of God had called her to do. There have been many who've gone before us to lead the way, imitating God and His Word, while the numerous men and nations plot and take counsel against the Lord. We are called to be, as God instructs us to be, faithful and forgiving. And I've said this through the years, but there's a wonderful series called The Heroes of Faith, stories about men and women like Watchman Nee and Cory Timboon and Gladys Alward and many others. I encourage you to look into those, especially if you are reading aloud to your children. They're wonderful books that remind us of true stories. The wars we see and hear about today are not new to the earth. Eugene Peterson says, what is an issue here is size. We require an act of imagination that enables us to see the world of God, that it's large, far larger than the world of kings and rulers and presidents and prime ministers, not the banks or the stockbrokers or the Wall Street Journal or the UN. The world as God is larger than all of that, than all the newspapers and all the world news channels and telephones and phones and professors and books of the world and all the militaries of the world. We need a way to see the world of God and his rule, that it's not an afterthought. His rule is not elected by the people or tyrannized or terrorized by his tribes. His rule is not dictated by a democracy. His rule is not dictated by any of this because he is God. Fear is real. Fear is real. My husband and I felt that fear. I particularly felt that fear because there was such a particular emphasis on these terrorists coming into a home and taking the women out. I'm a woman. I know what that would be like. I felt afraid. But fear being real is no more than God's rule and plan being real. And we need to find ways to rest in this, to meditate on him and his word. Psalm 2, verses 7 through 9, are very important to the entire uh, 11 verses. I will tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the end of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. 
One more quote from dear Eugene Peterson. For more is involved here than simply asserting God's sovereignty. We need a way of convincing usable, accessible tools for realizing the largeness of God in the midst of the competing bigness of the world. If we fail here, prayer will be stunted. We will pray huddled and cowering. Our prayers will be whimpers. Psalm 2 presents the Messiah, the Messiah whose birth we're about to recognize again. Messiah is God's person in history. Shall I say that again? Messiah is God's person in history. When I'm afraid, these are the words that bring comfort and assurance. God is not only caring about your soul and mine and my son-in-law's cancer and his family's concern of his death. God is active in cities. His plan to invade the secular, to invade the schools and the workplaces and cities, large and small, yours and mine. He wants us to meditate on Psalms 1 and 2. Pray the Psalms alongside the men and women who have gone before us, the men and women whose shoulders we stand on today. His word is not only for meditation, but for shaping of history. As I prepared this lesson, I could hear my own head saying, but, but it's real, that fear, it's close to me. I see the school children who are being shot up in mass murderers and cities around the world and the fear of all we see on all the news about what's going on in Israel in the Holy Land. I tell my own stories. When I was a young uh, adult, late teenager, I became obsessed with reading things about World War II. I read and I read and I read and I read, and I put next to it the Word of God. And I can remember as our daughter got older that we had this little drill we would do with her. I think about it now, and I think it's just must have scared her out of her mind. But David and I would say to her, now if a gunman comes and asks you to deny Jesus or he will kill your parents, what are you supposed to say? Remember, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit outranks everything. Never deny Jesus. Will you be afraid? Of course, but plan on it. Remember, we are frail human beings. We have lived and loved really nice people. Now, we will want to say, oh, oh, Dave, oh, Donna, they were such nice people. We should try to save them. No, we must not ever deny Jesus. We must take a stand. We must trust in God, not in mankind. We must trust in the Messiah. We must recognize that his word tells us that some will go with him and some will not go with him. The children of Israel had king and kingdom, rulers and despots. He called them to anoint a ruddy lad of the tribe of Benjamin, a lad who slayed the giant with a stone, a human being who would serve God and fall terrifically in a public way. But God had ordained it. David was the Messiah figure during those years. And while the libraries and stone buildings and statues were everywhere imposing ruling figures, they were taught, as we are being asked to be taught, to pray and to listen to our God. Centuries later, the Messiah would come in the form of a baby. As implausible as the ruddy face of sweet King David, 
an infant who came through the dark birth canal of a mere woman's body. The other Messiah-like leaders had come in a way of God, the way of rulers and kings. The Messiah is this not the son of Joseph? Can anything come from Nazareth? Yes, that Messiah. God's method is the same. Entering history in the human person and exercising his rule from an unassuming position in an unadorned person. No stallions, no robes, no artillery, no parades. No, instead, a manger of a sword in a barn-type place. God, the one true living God, comes to save us from everything. Psalm 2, verse 4 says, He who sits in the heaven laughs. The Lord has them to derision. Are you like me? I think so. I think through the years I've come to see how much we are all alike. I can take the bigness, the power, the knowledge. Really, I can. Like AI, I don't understand, but it's real. I saw a car driving down the front of my house on my street. It had no driver. That's real. But this is big stuff. We think it's big stuff. But God laughs. The other thing he calls us to do is to adore. In Psalm 2, the last part of the last verse, serve the Lord with fear, with trembling, kiss his feet, or he will be angry and you will perish in the way. Happy are all who take refuge in him. Therefore, kings, rulers, giant tech companies and governments, be wise and be warned. The larger world, the largest world is God's. This invasion happens and can happen to all of us from the inside. We know what is inside is bigger than what is outside. The Psalms and the Word of God hidden in our heart is bigger than it all. And Psalm 2 is the reminder, the starter of growth, the place to access the largeness, the fear, and to keep the fear at bay. Psalm 1 calls us to recognize and meditate on the Messiah. Psalm 2 calls us to recognize that the Messiah-type person who is plotting in his meditation in vain, plotting to take over, plotting against the Anointed One. The tree and the Messiah. The Hebrews arranged the scriptures into three sections, the law, the primary word of God, the prophets, including the historical books, and shows God word, God's word at work in geography and history. Writings led by the Psalms shape our response to God's word through the practice of prayer in the life of faith. God's word is surging and rich. Hundreds of years of words are in it, told in stories, preached in sermons, preserved in genealogies, interpreted in histories. Every syllable is a gem. Somehow or other, all those sharp, quick, and personal words must be heard and answered. Not a nuance must be lost. Psalm 1 and 2 work as funnels, directing all the Torah, all the word through Psalm 1 and all the prophets through Psalm 2 into the way of prayer that is into the Psalms, where we take our place to prayer, where we take our place to get our lives trained by prayer, where we take our place to find an adequate answer to the questions that we have that are all found in God's Word. 
Someone is quiet, gathering our distracted lives into an act of supreme attention, a tree. Some, too, is vigorous, countering the bullying world that intimidates us into hiding, to not being the man or woman that God has called us to be, to be free, to give our words and our thoughts about what God and his word means to us. By means of Psalm 1, we become a tree, putting down the roots into the soil and the streams of Torah, collected and recollected before God's word. By Psalm 2, we observe the Messiah, God personally involved in this world, often incognito, often not seen as we expect God to be seen, but I assure you he is here and he is ruling. I assure you that Psalm 1 concentrates our energies into a listening attention. We know his voice, and we know his voice to be true, and all the other voices on every cell phone, on every TV, on every computer, on every lecture is being heard and understood through God's word. Psalm 2 expands our vision to take these revelation and pay attention and adore him who has called us to pray to him. We have been looking at Psalm 1 and 2 as a precursor to inviting you into a new way of prayer, an additional way of prayer. Let's leave the books about prayer. Let's leave the journals about writing prayers. Let's look to the Psalms, all 148 of them, and Psalm 1 and 2 that give us direction and how to pray these prayers. Well, this is the last of 37 years of podcasting, and I'm going to close as we always have. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day of finding solace in prayer to the one true living God. <laughs>